Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're so glad that you're listening in today. As God's people, we're concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Dostoevsky says this, The mystery of human existence lies not just in staying alive, but in finding something to live for. Rick Warren talks about it a little differently. Without a purpose, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, and events without reason. We all need a purpose in life, and God tells us that purpose is to love the people around us and to love God. Now, this is not easy, and I'm finding it as a pastor increasingly difficult to preach about love simply because our culture is distorting love more and more each year. Our culture tells us that love is a feeling, but the Bible tells us that love is a decision. It's an action. Our culture thinks of love in terms of transaction, that love is about how it makes you feel. And feeling is certainly a part of romance, but as a culture, we also weigh the value of loving others based on how good we feel after doing loving things for those in need, for those who are marginalized, for caring for those who are unlovable. We're sitting on the edge of Valentine's Day here, and on this day, our culture magnifies that the purpose of love is the feeling we get during the pursuit of romance. Romance is a wonderful gift from God, and when it comes to the topic of love, God has given us something far more powerful than simply romantic love. So today, we're going to take a few minutes and look at a classic passage on love from 1 Corinthians 13, often called the love chapter. And here we find a definition of love. But even more than a definition, God issues to each of us the high calling of of leading and living with love. That is, we're to love with a love that brings out the best in everyone around us. We're called to live with biblical love, and this love is necessary. This love builds others up, and this love is perfectly demonstrated for us in Jesus Christ. So let's read the text in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to the hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Not just any love will do. We need real love. Love that is biblical love. The world is full of counterfeit love, so much so that real love can be hard to identify. 
Counterfeit love ultimately will leave a bitter taste in your mouth. But when we experience genuine love, we are awed by its wonder, purity, and sweetness. Real love is refreshing. And this should not surprise us because the author of real love is also the author of life. When we see real love, we see a glimpse of God. And when we live with biblical love, those around us will get a glimpse of God. Yeah, it's part of John 4, uh, 1 John 4, 8. It says, God is love. I've said it before, and I'll say it many times more. Where our culture says love is a feeling, the Bible tells us love is a decision. It is an action. Another way to think about it is this. Our culture sees love as transactional. God says love is sacrificial. Our culture measures love by what you give and what you get in return. God measures love by giving to bring life to others, reconciliation to others, to restore others to God. And we're all called to live by biblical love. 1 Corinthians 14.1 tells us to follow the way of love. And 1 Corinthians 16.14 says, do everything in love. And this leads us to the important realization and one of the things that I want you to catch and not miss in our text today, and that is this. Love is essential. You cannot remove it from the life of the Christian or the human life. The first thing that the Apostle Paul tells us in in Corinthians 13 is that love is an essential ingredient. You have to have it. It's the essential ingredient for the Christian. It's the essential ingredient for any human life. Leaving out essential ingredients can lead to problems. If I get out a coffee maker and a filter and I fill it with water and plug it in, but don't add any coffee beans, you only end up with hot water. You're missing the key ingredient. It's a tragedy for some of us who depend upon coffee, not me. I'm not much of a coffee drinker. Now, if I get out a mixing bowl to make a chocolate cake, which I value much more than coffee, and I add eggs and flour and sugar and oil, but leave out the cocoa powder, try as I might, I'll never have a chocolate cake. I'm missing the essential ingredient. This last year, my wife has been into putting together puzzles especially in the wintertime, and nothing frustrates her more when she finds that the final piece is missing. It's not happened too often, but she kind of gets this moment where she goes, oh no, I think there's a piece missing, and yeah, sometimes the dog's gotten a hold of it, but it's frustrating when that missing piece is never quite complete. I remember back one night when I was in college, I went to the dormitory vending machine for a snack, and they had these fruit pie kind of snack cake things in there, and I selected one that was labeled apple pie. I thought, well, that'll be really good. I like apple pie. And out of curiosity, I was thinking, well, it's been sitting here in the vending machine forever. I wonder how those apples have survived in this pie. So I turned over the treat and looked at the ingredients, which most of them I couldn't understand. And then after the ingredients was this sentence that said, does not contain apples. I thought, well, how do we call it an apple pie? There's no apples inside. It was missing a key ingredient. Turned out that they put some sort of artificial thing that kind of resembled styrofoam uh, in place of the apples to give you texture. It's not apple pie. And our lives are the same way. The essential ingredient is love. And without it, everything else is meaningless and hollow. 
And so as Paul writes 1 Corinthians 13, he gives us examples of various spiritual gifts. He he does something very curious. He magnifies the success of each gift, and then he takes it to the extreme, and then he tells us, even in their most extreme, wildly successful, they're nothing without love. They're worthless. In verse 1, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, speaking any language, how wonderful that would be to be able to speak natural or supernatural languages, to be able to communicate with any person or any being anywhere. What an ability. There's so much that could be accomplished if communication wasn't a problem. But Paul tells us that without love, we're just noisemakers. Do you want to be a noisemaker? Do I want to be a noisemaker? I don't want to be a noisemaker. And he's not just saying a noisemaker. He's saying an annoying, uh, a, a painful noisemaker. In verse 2, Paul writes about prophecy, knowledge. He writes about faith, the faith that can move mountains, the miraculous. Power is what he's writing about, to have all knowledge, to have power. We often feel this is the key to success, but Paul tells us without love, it's nothing. He's nothing. All that power is nothing. In verse 3, Paul writes about giving himself away, giving his possessions, even sacrificing his body, giving it away in generosity, serving the poor with all that he has. And we live in a world that highly values generosity, especially to the needy, but without biblical love, it does not amount to very much. Paul tells us he gains nothing. Those three results need to be taken very seriously. Without love, we are just a useless noisemaker. Without love, we are nothing. And without love, we gain nothing. Last time I checked, I don't think there's anybody that wants that. Very seldom does a person go about life saying, well, I want to be a useless noisemaker. I want to be nothing. I want to have nothing to show for my life. And perhaps you feel like you have nothing to show for your life. Perhaps you feel like you have not accomplished anything meaningful. Perhaps you feel very, uh, well, maybe you feel like you're not of much use. But sometimes we just do not know how to measure ourselves rightly. And that's the case. Sometimes we just don't know how to measure our lives, and so we may feel like nothing or feel useless, but we really are. But other times, we need to figure out how to measure ourselves. And we need to ask, am I missing the key ingredient, biblical love? And I've seen a lot of people dissatisfied with life. They can't figure out why they're not happy. Why they're not fulfilled. They can't figure out why nothing ever seems to work for them. Why junk seems to keep happening to them. They're living, but they're missing the essential ingredient, love. It's not that love would make their problems go away, but love makes you look at problems differently. Love causes to transition from a selfish attitude to a selfless one. To transition from woe is me to seeing the blessings God has given Love causes us to stop asking, what do I get? And causes us to say and ask, what can I give? You can have a tremendous amount of success in your life, and you can still be a failure. There are a lot of unhappy rich people and powerful people in this world, and they're missing the main ingredient, biblical love. Parents, one of the best things you can do for your children 
and grandparents for your children, grandchildren, is to live a life filled with godly love, biblical love. When you do so, you show them who God is, and you show them who they are supposed to be. You can teach a good work ethic, you can teach the value of money, you can provide an incredible education, but if you fail to model and teach about genuine biblical love, you do a disservice to your children. Resolve today to not live one more minute without the essential ingredient of biblical love. This is the high calling of the Christian life, being filled with biblical love and showing it to others. It's essential. But what does it do? Love builds up others. We need to realize this. We need to see this and understand this. It's so important. It builds up others. Love is not about what we get from others, which we primarily measure by how others make us feel. Biblical love is about building up others, blessing others. Anthony Thistleton uh, writes about love in this way, he writes about the love described in 1 Corinthians 13, stating that what is described to us is the pure opposite of worldly love. So, 1 Corinthians 13, it's the opposite of worldly love. And I think we get that, but then he goes on to describe what that means. And he tells us that worldly love is a reaction to the value we see in others. Meaning this. We see others as attractive, as successful. We see their social status. We maybe see in others morals that we share or or, uh, thoughts that we are in agreement with or even theology that we share together. And we say, that person's valuable. I'm going to react to their value. This even applies to those we see as in need. We love them because they have less or are treated less. So we say they they need they are valuable in that we have measured their life, we've weighed it, we've judged it, and now we respond to it. Worldly love begins. This is really important here. Worldly love begins by making a judgment of others. It is a reaction to what we see in others. Usually, worldly love is then motivated by what we can get when we show love to others. Biblical love, godly love, is different. I need you to catch this. Worldly love begins with judgment of others, and it's a reaction to the value we see in them. But biblical love is obsessed with creating value instead of responding to value. Biblical love sees your neighbor and says, you are worth more than you can possibly imagine, and I'm going to help you see that value by loving you. I'm going to help you reach that value by loving you. Love says we will not be satisfied till we help others know their worth. Now, it's not that we increase in love towards others. It's that we increase others by love. You see, God's love for us is already at its maximum. He cannot love us any more than he already does. There's nothing that we can do, nothing about us that can change that will cause God to love us more. He loves us completely. It's not about increasing the amount of love. It's about God's love changing us into something more better and more beautiful. And I'm glad of this. I need God's love in my life. It's a privilege for me and you to love others in the same way. 
that our love is focused on making those around us better, to help them realize their worth. Don't believe me? Look at the words that are used to describe love in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. These four verses launch into a wonderful, powerful, and deep description of love. These four verses list no fewer than 15 qualities of love. And I've always found this description of love to be daunting. It's it's beautiful, but it's challenging. I have to be patient all the time. I am re- am I ready to keep no record of wrongs? But I know I've been hurt in the past. I don't want to be. I don't want that to happen again. Does love always have to trust? Always have to rejoice in the truth? Always, it's a difficult word to uphold. But each of these fifteen descriptions of love are designed to build up others. You have to have others to do these descriptions. Patience needs someone to be patient with. Anger needs a focus. Keeping a record of wrongs or not keeping a record of wrongs needs others to keep track of them. We want to explore each quality in detail, but I want you to begin to see how biblical love is for blessing and building up others. So you just take a look at a few of these real quickly. The first one is this. Love is patient. There's not enough patience in our world today. Everything's speeding up. I think we all see this. We're all connected to each other instantaneously. We're obsessed with immediacy. But we are hardwired to move slowly and to grow slowly. You know, trust is built over time. Friendship takes time. Love requires patience. Patience gives time for someone to grow. It says, I am willing to wait. There's a lot in life that can't be rushed. The composing of great music, of good writing, the development of a thinker, of an artist. Oak trees take time to grow, right? And so does a person. Patience doesn't mean being passive. It doesn't mean letting everyone run over you. Patience is a tenacity that says, I will not give up on you. Patience tells a person that they're worth waiting for, slowing down for. Patience says, I love you too much to leave you in the dust of my personal interests. Then there's kindness. Kindness makes a person attractive. Andrew McLaren says this, if you would win the world, melt it, do not hammer it. Our human instinct is not for kindness, but for harshness. We're hard on those that do not meet our expectations. We feel like that hard edge could maybe refine others if they just get it. Our world is good at having a critical spirit rather than a kind one. It's easy to focus on all that is wrong about a person, all that drives you crazy rather than to be kind. I'm glad that God does not focus on my faults. He sees the wonder in me. He sees what is worth forgiving. And when you're critical of someone, all you do is make a case against them. That's not kindness. 
Kindness finds a way, instead of being against a person, to be for a person. How are you being for the people you love? The text moves on and says, love does not envy. Envy is a very human thing. We're coveting the possessions of other people, grudging the very fact that others have what we do not. Envy does not so much want things as much as it despises others who simply have. We've got a lot of that going on in our world today. This type of envy runs rampant in our culture. It is often touted as a virtue, the ability to see unfairness. What it really does is foster bitterness and a hard and loving heart. Envy revels in tearing down others, so not envying is about building others up. I'm going to put two together here real quickly. We're going to go faster through them here. Love does not boast and it is not proud, meaning love is humble. Love says we stop gathering attention and gathering recognition for ourselves and instead give it to others. Love does not dishonor others. In this phrase, we should hear restraint and respect. How powerful it is that the people around could know that you will never dishonor them or betray them. Our culture is quick to call out and shame those it doesn't agree with. The Christian should hold every human life with dignity and honor and respect. Love is not self-seeking, simply put. Love serves others. Love is not easily angered. That is to say, it never gets angry. Well, that's not to say that it never gets angry. In fact, we all know that everyone, even God, gets angry. But maybe here's another way to look at it. Uh, Benjamin Franklin says, Anger is never without a reason, but seldom a good one. Love says, we only get angry with a good reason because we care about others. Love keeps no record of wrongs. There's a difference between caution to avoid getting hurt by someone in the future and keeping score. How much time do we waste nursing our memory of wrongs? Oh, how we can bless a person if we can show them they don't have to walk lightly around this. We have forgiven, and we won't throw the past in their faces. Love does not delight in evil. Love does. Uh, love always rejoices in the truth. And if you'll permit me, I'm going to maybe bump over those ones, not delighting in evil and rejoicing in the truth, because I think they're kind of self-explanatory. But if you'll permit me to draw your attention to verse 7 instead, the four always qualities of love. These show very clearly that love is for blessing and building up others. Because verse 7 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Always is an unrelenting posture. Never tire of protecting. Never tire of trusting. Never tire of hoping. Never tire of the journey ahead, but persevering instead. See, love is risky especially when we use that word always. Do I protect those I love even when they seek to hurt me? Yes, if we love them. Do I always trust? What if the one I love breaks that trust? I always find a way to trust still. Love speaks to each of us when we are most unlovable and says you are worth more than you know. Always is a word that echoes that message. You are worth more than you know. C.S. Lewis writes about the necessity of love. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. 
Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. And if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, then you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it up carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries and avoid all entanglements. Lock it up in a safe in the ca- in the casket or coffin or your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable and penetrable and irredeemable. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers of love is hell. Love is made to build up others, to be in contact with others. And that's why we need to understand the love of Jesus. Love is demonstrated perfectly in the person of Jesus. A few moments, a few months ago, I was having a conversation with a pastor, good friend, and he pointed out that you can take the word love in 1 Corinthians 13 and replace it with the name Jesus. You see, Jesus sees our need for redemption. He sees our need to be built up even when we cannot always see our own worth. And not only can we replace love Uh, in 1 Corinthians 13 with the name Jesus, but we should examine our own selves by replacing the word love with our own name. And let me tell you, and I would challenge you to do this, it makes for some brutal and uncomfortable reading, especially if you read something that is untrue of yourself when you put your name in. And so I'll do that with my own name. I encourage you to do it with yours. I think it's a great way to self-examine yourself. And so you could read 1 Corinthians 13 and say, well, Josh is patient. Sometimes, most of the time, I hope I'm better at it. Josh is kind. Josh does not envy. Josh does not boast. Josh is not proud. Josh does not dishonor others. Josh is not self-seeking. Josh is not easily angered. Josh keeps no record of wrongs. Josh does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Josh always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I can't tell you, I read that so quickly because I find it so uncomfortable because I don't live up to that as well as I should. But when I get to verse 8, I'm reminded so much of how I struggle and need someone else to love me, need Christ's love. Because when I read verse 8, I know it's not true. It says, Josh never fails. Ha, I fail all the time. And I think you might feel the same about yourself. If you were to put your name in that description of love, you'd probably feel just the same way and go, oh, I need to get better at this. Our hope as Christians is that these words become a truer description of ourselves as we mature and grow. But verse 8 reminds me, and hopefully reminds you, of how much we need Jesus. How I need His perfect love in my life. So now I'm going to read those words again. This time with the name Jesus in the place of love. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. We know he is the truth, right? Jesus always protects, always trusts always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Amen. Romans 5.8 tells us this, 
But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Rejoice in the love of Jesus, that when we are at our worst, He sees our best. He does not give up, but seeks to lift us up and give us the promise of heaven. That is biblical love. You and I are invited to receive that love from Jesus. You and I are called to give that love to others. Will you do this? As we close today, I would like to pray the Apostle Paul's words to the Ephesians over you. They're fitting as we talk about love. I would challenge you to make Ephesians 3, 16 and 19 your prayer for others as well. So hear these words as a prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power with through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that over you, in Jesus' name, amen. Go with Jesus.